little bit about the prodigal son story again. So I don't know if it can be exhausted. It just seems so full. If you do know the story, you probably agree with me about that. And if you don't know the story, I'm going to summarize it very quickly. There's a father who had two sons. And the younger one was sick of being at home. And he said, give me my share of the inheritance now, even though you're not dead. And the father divided up the inheritance between the two sons. The young man set out and quickly squandered everything he had in reckless living. It got so bad that he was hanging out among Gentiles, feeding the pigs, and he even wished he could eat the slop that the pigs were eating. And it's at that point that the scripture says, he came to himself. And he said, Man, even the servants in my father's house are living better than I am out here. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back. I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to beg him. Take me back as one of your servants. Just hire me on so that I can at least live in the back house. I'm not worthy of you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But just take me back as a servant. So he set off on his journey while he was still a long way off. The father saw him and ran to him. And he started his speech, but he only got out about one sentence. And the father interrupted him, embraced him, and kissed him. He ignored his, he ignored his I'm no longer worthy. And he said, bring the robe. Actually, he took his own robe off right then and there and put it on him. He put his signet ring of authority on his hand. He put clean sandals back on his feet and he shouted to all the servants, stop what you're doing, kill the fatted calf, it's time to celebrate for my son was dead and is alive, was lost and is found and the party began. It's my favorite verse in the whole Bible. And so the party began. I'd like to tattoo it on this building, you thought I was going to say on myself. I really would. I would love if it was somewhere really big, maybe on that wall so I can look at it. You guys wouldn't even know I'm seeing it. And so the party began. And then you got the older brother, and he's out working in the fields, and he hears while he's working, while he's sweating, while he's tiring at his craft, he hears a noise. He comes back to see what this disturbance is and he finds his younger brother in the house wearing his dad's robe, wearing his dad's ring, wearing his dad's sandals and nobody's getting a thing accomplished and they're all celebrating this kid and he's outraged and he refuses to come into the party. The father leaves the party, begins to beg the older son to come in. And the older son says this, in all the years that I've slaved for you, you never threw me a party, you never even gave me a goat. You killed the fatted calf for him? You're giving him prime rib, you didn't even give me a gyro. That was free. That was free right there. By the way, I love gyros. They're so good. 
And then he doesn't even call him my brother. This son of yours. In all the years I've been slaving for you, you never even gave me and my friends a young goat, but you killed the fatted calf when this son of yours comes home. And the father pleads with him and says, Don't you understand? This, my son was lost and he's found. He was dead, now he's alive. We had to celebrate. But then he says this really fascinating thing. Again, now these are right follow-up, some of the best verses in the whole Bible. You, my son, to the older brother, with tenderness, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate. I love this story. You could say this story is a study in contrasts. And really, I'm not even going to... This isn't really what I'm, my sermon is about today. It's really not about Luke 15. It's, it's about something else. It's about what we believe. You could view this prodigal son story as a study in contrast between the younger brother and the older brother. You could say it's a study in you know, rebellion versus religion. But I think you'd be missing the point. It's a study in contrasts between what the sons believe and what the father believes. Because the older son believes what the younger son used to believe before he left. The younger son left to get away from being a slave. The older son felt like because he stayed a slave, he's owed things. And the father believes, you're my son. I delight in you. Everything I have is yours. My heart's perfectly and completely for you. And everything is joy. We could have thrown a party any day of the week you wanted to. You think we're out here slaving away because we need to? Or if we don't, we're going to starve? We're doing the good work God made made for us to do because... It's in our bones, man. We're bringing the beauty to the creation. What mindset have you been bringing to this thing? It's really a study in contrast of what does the father believe and what do the sons believe. And the thing is, if you look at the final scene, the younger son is in paradise and the older son is in hell. But they're in the same family and they're in the same room. Sometimes we think heaven and hell. Ah, those are locations. One of them is a lake of fire. One of them has streets of gold. Guys, those are metaphors. Eternal life has to do with a quality of of life. A kind of life. And if it starts now, it's because that kind of life has already started now. And how that kind of life gets implanted in us is we believe what God believes and it leads to the kinds of spiritual vitality that God carries. Eternal life starts now. Heaven and hell are the, the uh, seed being fully grown into the plant in eternity. Is what I'm developing into now the kind of person that God is? 
right? And it all comes from what I believe. So you can be in the party in hell because of what you believe. Or you can be working hard for your father in paradise. Doing productive and good work. So many of us are more shaped and formed. I'm going to say this wrong and then we're going to fix it, okay? So many of us are so shaped and formed by how life is going instead of the gospel. And why is that? It's not because of how life is going. It's because, it's because of what we believe. What, how life is going fashions and shapes what we believe gives us to let, let go of gospel truths about who the Father is, who we are, and what is true about our lives. And the next thing you know, we could be at the party filled with terrible attitudes. Now we're managing our behavior instead of getting close to Abba and letting that affect what's going on in the deep places. Do you understand what I mean by managing behavior? Now the inside is frustrated, unhappy, bitter, burnout, ticked off, feeling entitled, mad at others, mad at God, mad at ourselves, disappointed, discouraged, and it has, in our mind, everything to do with how life is going. But it has nothing to do with how life is going. It has to do with what we believe. It has to do with, with it has to do with us not believing what God believes. Because if you believe what God believes, the prison becomes paradise. I don't know if you've heard my friend Oscar Tucker's testimony. The same uh, judge that told him, you will never, ever see the light of day, was the one that signed his release forms because he was a transformed person. And by the time the judge signed the release forms, he was comfortable staying in there the rest of his life. Because in prison he encountered Jesus and got set free and had a rich harvest field of fellow inmates, so much so that it was immaterial to him whether he ever got out again or not. I wonder if we can see this. Remember the story in Martha and Mary, Luke chapter 10? Jesus shows up at Martha's house for a feast and she's worried and upset because she's dealing with all the details of hosting Jesus and his hungry disciples and that's a big undertaking. I'm not going to lie. If 12 people and maybe more showed up at my house in the middle of the week and I was supposed to make sure that the house was ready and the food was prepared, I'm not going to lie. I'm probably going to react a little bit more like Martha than Mary. I... I, I my kids are going to confirm to you that I would be a foul person to be in the room with if they weren't working hard enough to prepare. I, I've, I have no problem with hanging out and relaxing unless I'm working and you're relaxing. And I, You know what I'm talking about? It's like, can we do this together? 
So I'm not going to throw Martha under the bus rudely and say, what a, you know, what a loser. Be like Mary. But I am going to point out that Martha's stress had nothing to do with food prep. It had everything to do with what she believed. There's a reason, hey Gabe, just stop with the string. Quit it. It's totally distracting for me. There's a reason. Now I distracted everyone else. All right. There's a reason that Jesus says one thing is necessary. And it's not because it was on his mind saying, you guys got to get after your devotions. You guys got to get up in the morning and read your Bibles and pray. It's totally necessary. And if you don't do it, you're not doing your duty. That's not why he uses the word one thing is needful. He uses the word one thing is needful because he's responding to the belief that Martha has that she has to be the one responsible for all this stuff because it has to be done. And if it's not done by her, it won't be done by anyone. And if it's not done by anyone, the world will end. Satan will take over. Everyone will go to hell. Like weird dinosaur looking like creatures with wings will start to eat your children. Public schools will be overrun by liberals and disaster will strike. And it all depends on whether we get this meal made. Do you know what I'm saying? It has to be done. It has to be done. It has to be done. He's, he's using the phrase Mary. There's one thing necessary, and Mary's chosen it. He, he's not saying, you guys have to get your devotionals done. He's only using the word it must, or one thing is needful, because Martha has this thing of this has to happen. This tight-gripped, because of what? Because of what she believes. What she believes has placed her as the person who is saving everyone. From what? Hunger. And Jesus shows up and says, isn't there a little boy here with, you know, a few loaves and fishes? That is not going to calm the stresses of those who don't believe in the generosity of the Father, is it? Is that going to stress you out worse? Some of us need to see the inventory before we relax. And this whole faith thing is really stressful. I'm not going to lie. I would be in Martha's camp. So I'm not trying to paint a picture of Martha's a moron. I'm trying to paint a picture of all of us have this tendency to carry burdens that the Lord doesn't want us to carry. Because we don't believe what the Father believes about life, ourselves, the situation at hand that we're facing. And there's a way to enter into relationship with Abba to where we see Him clear enough and we hear His voice clear enough and then we actually believe it. Now that's the real thing, isn't it? How many of us, we have a sozo and Tammy's sitting across from us and the Father says some things to us and She's sitting quietly and he's talking and she has no idea what's going on, but God's talking. And then she writes down what we say. We said it out of our own mouth. God says this and this and this. And she just writes it down and hands it to us on a piece of paper. And then how many of us, two weeks later, totally disagree with what God told us? As revealed by our attitudes and our actions. I'm not trying to say faith is, is like, you know, Simple, well, it is kind of simple. It's just not easy, right? And there's this powerful verse. We talked about the book of Hebrews in DTS this week. There's this, well, I think it's a powerful verse in Hebrews chapter 4 that says that the Word of God 
is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. And it, it cuts open the parts of a person and reveals what's true. And it, and it says it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Now, when it says it judges, it doesn't mean judgmental shame on you. What it means is it makes critical decisions about what is true and what is not. It gives critically accurate and helpful information so that we can see what's real. There's something, there's something in, like in deceptive about not being in relationship with Father. When I'm talking about the Word of God, I'm not talking about the Bible written on the page. You can take the Bible written on the page, construct a system of thought from it, but it's your system that you created, and it's not the Word of God. Or you can take this book, surrender to Father, and out of relationship, Him take this book and use it to bring you to truth. Relational truth. And it's not a worldview you constructed. It's not a system of beliefs. It's it's the truth of God that's the word from Father to your heart that will cause you to be able to... Thrive. I almost, I, sometimes I try to combine words. There my brain wanted to take the word flourish and thrive and squirt them together into flourish. <laughs> a few years ago, I think I, I remember I felt a strong message in my heart that said, fight the fight you're actually in. I don't know if anyone remembers that. And it's, there's a fight you're in. And for the fight you're in, for the situation that's actually in front of you, there's a word from the Lord. Father is talking and equipping with everything you need to thrive in the situation you're, you're, well, you're in. The fight you're actually called to. But there's a way to develop a system of beliefs. It's a form of serving God. Going back to the Mary Martha thing or the, or the older brother thing. A form of serving the Father. But you're miserable. I'm miserable, I'm stressed out, I'm weary, I'm worn, I'm ticked, I'm confused, I'm tired, I'm mad. And it has nothing to do with the Father, and it has everything to do with what I believe. How are we tracking? And there's a way, again, younger brother believes the same exact thing as the older brother, the older brother is just more dutiful. Younger brother sees this, like this false picture of the father and says, I'm out of here. Get away from me with that. I'm done with church. I'm done with religion. I'm done with all of it. Done with faith. Don't talk to me about the Lord. An older brother says, Is that, if that's what's required, if that's what's necessary, if, that what, if that's what must be done, I'll do it. Two ways of avoiding God. And Jesus offers this brand new third way. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. And he provides rest for our souls once we've been trained to think like he thinks. To see like he sees. How are we tracking? Alright, so there's one big test in your life and mine. Life is like one big test. And the big test is this. Can you lay hold of God and be happy? Period.
Because if you can, no matter what happens, you win. And if you can't, no matter how good it goes, you lose. Can you lay hold of God and be happy? Father's happy. Kingdom's a party. Again, let's get this tattooed on our hearts. (laughs) You thought I was going to say building. And so the party began. What are you carrying? Sometimes you can carry the promise in such a way that the promise becomes a burden. Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And through this son, I'm going to develop this into a people more numerous than the sands and the seashore. And through this family, this seed, all the nations will be blessed. And he says, we better get on this. We better fulfill this. Sarah, how are we going to fulfill this? Man, we're getting old. I don't even think I'm capable of having kids. I'm not sure you are either, boy. We're all wrinkled up. What are we going to do? And they start to scheme and plot. No, that's not very nice for me to say it that way. They start to think and figure out. They start to bring a promise about what God would do into the realm of needing to understand how they were going to make it happen. And the next thing you know, he's having sex with Hagar, one of the servants. Now, that's weird. I know it's normal for them, but can I just still feel like it's really weird? And that Sarah even suggested it. And then Sarah's the main one who resented the kid and Hagar and doesn't say she resented him, but come on, people. Don't you touch me. Get off of me. Don't get away from me, Abraham. And then the kids are fighting, and then the moms are fighting, and then there's fighting, and the grandkids are fighting, and now to this very day, they're still fighting. And it's because somebody thought they'd help the Lord fix it by, by fulfilling through their strength and their intuition and their wisdom and their understanding and their knowledge, their faithfulness. When what faith was required to do was not nothing, but was actually way harder than doing something. Wait patiently. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Wait patiently? I'm so old. What are you going to do? Raise me from the dead and and make me pregnant? If that's what's required. Faith is just harder than unbelief sometimes. But the consequences of faith are a lot nicer. Rest in peace. Study in contrasts. And... Paul brings that Abraham and Sarah story up and and calls it flesh versus spirit. I promise you they didn't think it was flesh versus spirit. They thought it was faithfulness versus laziness. Amen. 
I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. I just know that what I'm saying is, if it doesn't lead to peace and rest and joy, coming in terms of the fruit out of my heart, if it leads to me being angry and bitter, frustrated and tired, maybe I want to rethink what I'm rooted in. And it could be a belief. It could, it could be a belief where I'm not agreeing with God. Now, it's possible you're on the right path and there's nothing wrong with what you're... You'd be right in the center of the road in the right household. You could be the older brother. You could be the older brother. You could be in the right household. You could be on the right farm. You could be in the right field that day. But because of what you've allowed in... See, I have a friend and the other day this friend told me he had delivered a prophetic word to me. Actually, I'll just ask, Stan, can I tell this story? Because I was going to veil your identity. And if you had said no right now, I'd have just switched the story. to I would have gone somewhere else completely. You can, I can? All right. Stan delivered a prophetic word. And it was a good word. Can I tell him what it is? It's a good word. He says, God's talking to me about you as a dad and our church. And he said two things, Tim. And he's real strong. It's re- God's real serious about this. This is a big deal. He said two things. One as a dad, one as a pastor. And, they, and, the, and the message applies to both. The family that prays together stays together. Amen. And the family that plays together stays together. And if you don't play, something's going to be broken. The playing together, the having fun, the hanging out, the non-spiritual goofing off and laughing, playing cards and eating popcorn and sports or whatever it is you're doing, the fun stuff is every bit as spiritual and important as the deep, intense spiritual stuff. So don't neglect the fun stuff. And don't neglect the spiritual stuff. They're both important. Should I keep moving back and forth on this step? It's like a waltz. Don't neglect the fun stuff and don't neglect the spiritual stuff. And he said, it's for the church and it's for you as a family. And I said, man, that's a good word. And I started to tell the elders and I talked about it with my wife. And I've been processing, how do we apply some of this stuff? Because the Father knows what we need. And that's a timely word for the time we're in. And then I said, can you tell me more details? And the Father started to download more details to Stan. Stan followed up and said, all right, I asked the Lord for more details. And he said that the playing is extremely important because... We're weary and brokenhearted, and we need joy. And when we play together, we don't just renew and refresh, but we come to learn to trust each other so that we can have the hard conversations later. There's stuff that can't get dealt with directly. We need to play together and hang out. And then we can deal with it. I'm like, okay, anything else? And Stan just keeps on bringing me stuff. Well, Stan said this the other day. He said, the enemy put a seed in his brain that said this, Tim didn't receive that word. When you said that to Tim, he didn't receive it. He didn't believe it. And Stan said, as soon as I heard the enemy tell me, Tim didn't receive that word, I rebuked the, the enemy and I said, you shut up. <laughs> How did, what did you say to him? Told him to leave. Did you punch him? Did you drop kick him? A little karate chop. No, you just told him to leave. It would have been a better story, though, if you'd have done a backflip. A little backflip and kick him in the face. I could get evangelistic with the story. Then Stan did a backflip up over the devil and grabbed them keys of the kingdom off his neck. 
I thought that was really fascinating. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. I thought that was, that's practical spirituality. Stan and I are friends. We're hanging out, having a conversation. Later, the enemy comes. Now, Stan recognizes it's the enemy. How many times do we not recognize it's the enemy? How many times have I not recognized it's the enemy? The enemy comes and says, hey, that person over there, you shouldn't. You're all alone. They don't, you shouldn't trust them. You're all alone. You guys don't see eye to eye. He didn't receive what you said. Y'all are on different missions. You know how many times I've heard people say lately to me, here even, that you feel like you don't fit in or you feel like what you value isn't valued or your contribution? It's not the truth. Plus, even if you are unique, that's on purpose by God. How many pancreases do you think we need up in here? But we got to have one. Know what I'm saying? What if the pancreas was like, I don't fit in. I'm out. That would, that would not work. You tracking? Yeah. Who wants me to finish this sermon? <laughs> Did I get a yes? Somebody say yes? Yeah, Bunny wants me to finish. That's good. <laughs> well, Tim, if you ask honest questions, you're going to get honest answers. So, recapping. The prodigal son story is a, survey, is a study in contrasts. But it's not, it's not the study in contrast we thought it was. It's not the study of contrast of younger son and older son being different. It's actually how much they're the same, but how neither of them, at least at the beginning of the story, believe what the father believes. And by the end, the younger son has come over to the father's position, and it's just a lot better there. We don't know what the older son decides because Jesus intentionally ends the story on the cliffhanger, hoping that his listeners, who are the older brother, would come over to agree with the father. And there's one big test in life. What is it? Lay hold of God and be happy. If you can do that, you win. I man, I was at one of my Israel's basketball games and the kids were out there and they were all like, if they'd miss a shot, they'd be like, man, missed a shot. If they get fouled and they didn't get called, they'd be like, man, I got fouled and nobody called it. If they got the ball stripped, they'd be like, they stripped the ball. And they're grumpily walking off the court. And then the coach is like, all right, subbing you out and we're going to put you in because the coach wants to have all the kids play. The kids are out there for a little bit. They get called out and they're like, man, I got called off the court. And this old man in front of me, he was hilarious. He was videotaping, he was videotaping, he was videoing on his phone the entire game. And, and his videography was, skills were hilarious. Grab an old iPhone, hit record, vaguely hold it in the, in the direction of the thing, and then whenever you yell, just wave it wildly at the... <laughs> come on! Fundamentals! Come on, guys, come on! And he's yelling the whole time, and he's waving it around. Finally, I realized that thing ran out of battery or something and turned itself off. Ten minutes ago, and I was kind of bashful, so I let him wave a dead phone in the air for a good ten minutes before I was like, uh, excuse me, sir, I think that phone is off. And he's like, good, now I can just watch the game. That's all you've been? But he was hilarious. One of the things the, the incredibly skilled video cinematographer in front of me was yelling at the kids was, y'all ain't happy. This is supposed to be fun. And I was sitting there going... I, th- I think that's kind of the main point of this thing, isn't it? 
And they had lost the plot. And I was thinking, what does their anger mean? That they're going to hit every shot? That they deserve to hit every shot? That they're, you know what I'm saying? Like, they, I'm so, like, they deserve to play the whole game with ever being subbed in? Or, what is going on here? And then I realized it's like, they don't actually believe that. They think that the anger and the frustration is a sign that they really are trying. And that if they were out there having fun, it might be a sign that they didn't care. But I bet if they were out there having fun, they'd hit more shots. (laughs) Maybe even pass the ball occasionally. (laughs) Give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. Son, dribble and pass. You want people to pass to you. I almost threw, uh, last night we were watching the Warriors game and, and Israel loves the Warriors and I'm, I was going for the Rockets even though I don't like either team just because I wanted to bother the Warriors a little. I wanted the Warriors and the Rockets to kind of suffer through this so that they get a little more worn out so that when they get to the next round, whoever it is, is just a little more beat down for hopefully the Trailblazers. But anyway, although I don't think it's going to happen. And, and Kevin Durant is just a, a nightmare. He's a nightmare. He's seven foot, pretends he's not. And, and, and Israel's like, he's a ball hog. And I was like, he's not, he's not a ball hog. He's amazing. He's a scorer. That's what scorers do is they score. No, watch him. Dad, watch him. He passes maybe one out of five possessions. So I started watching him and I was like, oh, he's right. He's right. Another team I'd like to win is the Celtics. And the reason I like the teams I like is because of the way they play. When the Warriors without KD do run a good offense. Let's get back on point. Let's get back on point. What's the point of the game? Isn't it supposed to be fun? What's the point of life? Do you remember back in the day, the Calvinists came up with a good statement? Enjoy God and glorify Him forever. It's actually so on point. Anytime your Christianity gets away from enjoying God, we're in trouble. Amen. We are in trouble. All right, let's go ahead and stand.